Here tonight for the first time, uh, we're doing a study. He said, why are we studying on hell during Christmas time? <laughs> we have been doing a series of messages on angels. And we'll conclude, we're going to talk about the place that God's prepared for the devil and his angels. And we're going to look at it, we're going to look at it, the, what the scripture says about it. There is so much misunderstanding, uh, false teaching, different ideas on this place called hell. I'm sure you've heard plenty of them yourself. And the issue is not what man thinks or what, even what a church may teach. This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible's God's word, and he's the one who created hell, and he tells us all about it in his word. So tonight, we're going. this is part two. We began with our study last week. Thank you very much for doing that for me. Everybody get notes for tonight? If you were not here last week, I do have notes from last week. You can get after the service to see me. Now, the, the answers are not in them. You have to find somebody else to fill in the answers. But anyway, just give me one second. As always, I'm very grateful for continued prayers for me. I um, People ask me all the time, how am I doing? They're praying for me. Please don't stop. I'm doing, doing so much better than I was. Uh, the, um, I think I told you, I, if I told you this, please uh, bear with me. Um, I had another echocardiogram about three weeks ago, which they were ch- checking the strength of my heart because it was damaged uh, in the heart attack. And the normal, what they call the injection fracture, that the strength of your heart when it pumps is 60, 6 to 6.5 minus 3. 3.5 is about half of what it should be. And they told me that people live a normal life for that way all the time. They just don't run any marathons. I said, well, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the bottom part of my heart is damaged and it hadn't got a bit better. And so uh, the issue I was having trouble with was my uh, blood pressure because the medicine they gave me, sometimes when I bend over to tie my shoe or stand up quick, I'd get lightheaded for like I was going to get dizzy. And they've regulated that, so very, not very often do I get dizzy anymore. So I, I'm getting better. And I still occasionally struggle with my voice. Sometimes it sounds raspy. The reason I have water up here. And, uh, and that's the reason when we sing hymns, you find me, I'm not singing. And I, not that I don't want to. I love singing, but if I, I need to be, not use my voice too much. And especially on Sunday mornings, I do three services in a row on Sunday mornings. So I have to guard that. And so, but anyway, I thank you for praying for me. Don't quit. Keep praying for me. And I'll be very grateful for that because God has answered your prayers in a tremendous way. God's been good to me. He's a wonderful God. He's worthy of our uh, lives, and I'm so grateful that the privilege to serve him. So we're doing what does the Bible teach about hell, part two. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark, please. Maybe you've already turned there. Mark chapter 9, please. Mark chapter 9. We're going to turn to several scriptures to start with and see what the Bible says about this place called hell. So I hope that you'll turn with me. In Mark chapter 9, look in verse 43, please. Mark 9, 43. We're going to look at tonight the many different words the Bible uses to describe this place called hell. Uh, Mark 9 and verse 43. It says here, If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. Better is, it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go to, into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45. 
If I foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet and be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 47, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, if I offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now notice there's three verses that describe this place called hell. And you hope you have a description of hell. It says the fire is never quenched. It never goes out. It constantly burns. And the Bible says here uh, that it'd be better for you if, you, if something, your, your hand, your foot, or your eye, if for some reason, for any of those things, would keep you from trusting Christ as your Savior. The idea is it'd be better for you to get rid of that part of your body and trust Christ as Savior than go to, and then go to hell and, uh, without that, with that. So basically, what it's saying here, it's better to live a life on earth physically handicapped and go to heaven than have, have a perfect health with no issues and die and go to hell. Amen. That's what it's saying here. And so, but, but the verse I want you to look at here is what this verse says here in Mark 9, 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. So that's the first phrase I want to look at tonight. The fire that never shall be quenched. We want to look at different phrases in Scripture that describes this place hell, called hell, so we can rightfully understand what it, what it is. Next, it's also called a furnace of fire. The furnace of fire. Turn with me, please, to Matthew now, please. Matthew. We're going to turn to several scriptures to start with, but then we'll uh, most other scriptures will be up on the screen for you. And Matthew chapter thirteen, please. Matthew chapter 13, please. This time in verse 47. Matthew 13 in verse 47. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So if you got any of those, you know you're close. And Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that is cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it is full, they drew... To shore, sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but the, cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, verse 50, and shall cast them, talking about the wicked, into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So again, it describes this place called hell. As a place the fire is never quenched, it's also called a furnace of fire. And um, that verse 50 there, shall cast them in a furnace of fire. And notice it goes on to describe, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Basically, there's a combination there of crying out, wailing as your voice, or crying out because of pain. And gnashing of teeth means like you just grit your teeth because the pain is so unbearable, you just can't stand it. And this is the description of what people will be going through that are cast in this place called hell. It's not a pretty sight, is it? Letter C. The next one is also called everlasting fire and punishment. This place called hell. These are descriptions of this place called hell where the fire is never quenched. 
It's called a furnace of fire and everlasting fire and punishment. If you got your Bible still in Matthew, turn to Matthew 25, please. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 31. This is the judgment of nations here. Matthew 25, 31. It said, verse 31, the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all his holy angels with him, he shall sit upon the throne in glory. This is when he comes to establish his kingdom on earth. And verse 32, and before him shall he gather all nations. And this is the unsaved, the, the, uh, not the Jewish people, but the uh, Gentile nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Verse 33, and it says here, And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, talking about the sheep, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, the sheep refers to believers. When we establish the kingdom, he brings the believers in, come and enjoy the kingdom. But skip over to verse 41, please. Then he shall say unto them on the left hand, and that's talking about the goats, depart from me, ye cursed into what? Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, there's that verse. Notice here, God is one who created this place called hell, and he prepared it not for man, but for the devil and his angels. Now, man goes there because of his choice to reject Christ as Savior. But it clearly tells us it's called everlasting fire prepared for the devil's angels. Look down to verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So here are the two words combined here. It refers to this place called hell as everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. Remember that word everlasting. We'll come back to that later on in our study. But these, again, another words that describe this place called hell. Everlasting fire prepared for the devil's angels and also, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. So two words, the fire and punishment is called everlasting. Remember that, please. Letter D, another word described this place is called everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. Turn with me, please, to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, please. In chapter 1, here again we see another descriptive name for this place called hell. As you begin to see, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about hell. In fact, the Bible talks more about hell than it does heaven. You realize that? Though heaven's a wonderful place, I enjoy talking about heaven, don't you? I look forward to going there, but God talks more about hell because he warns people of this horrible place. He doesn't want people to go to hell. In fact, he made a sacrifice of his son to keep people out of hell. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, please. He said, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Verse 8. And flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and they that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, how do you obey the gospel? 
But I believe exactly. And what, what is the command of the gospel? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The way you obey it is by believing. So when you believe in Christ as Savior, you've obeyed the command of the gospel. And that's for lost people to believe on Christ. But he says here that he will take vengeance upon those who obey not the gospel. Verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So again, another description of this awful place called hell, that the unbeliever who does not obey the gospel by believing the gospel, believing in Christ, shall be punished with everlasting destruction. So we see everlasting punishment, everlasting fire, everlasting destruction. God uses that word over and over again to describe this awful place called hell. All right. I think the rest of the verses will be on the screen, so I don't think you need to open your Bibles unless you especially want to. Another word describe this place called hell is called eternal fire. Eternal fire. We saw everlasting destruction, everlasting punishment, everlasting fire, but also the word eternal. In fact, the word eternal and the word everlasting is the same word in the original language. The, the translators at one time translated eternal, the time everlasting, but it both means the same thing. But look here in Jude 1, verse 7. It said, verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of what? Eternal fire. What kind of fire? Eternal fire. And remember that phrase. So that's another word to describe hell. The th next one is called a lake of fire and brimstone. This place called hell is called a lake of fire and brimstone. This is probably the most popular one we see in the book of Revelation. 21 verse 8 says this. <clears throat> it says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice all these different words to describe the sinful deeds that man does. Probably most of them may be more extreme. You say, Pastor, I can't find myself there. The fearful, the unbelieving. Of course, we're all one time in a state of unbelief before we were saved. But the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, you say, Pastor, that, that, that doesn't define me. But read the phrase after that, and all what? Liars. How many of you never told a lie? Or maybe you never said something that was not true. And if you raised your hand, you just told another lie. <laughs> we all have done that. We may call a little fib, stretch the truth. But all have us. And by the way, that is one of the commands of God. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And so, how many lies do you have to... Tell to be in order to be a liar. One. So notice here, all of us are included in this verse in one way or the other. And it says, They shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Of course, we know those who trust Christ as Savior are forgiven of those sins. And so you may find yourself in one or two of these, maybe many of those. But the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins, and therefore we stand before God without sin because of the precious blood of Christ. But these are those that unbelievers are said there. But notice again, it's talking about the fire 
a lake which burns with uh, fire and brimstone. That's another description of this awful place. Now, the creation of hell. We saw the description of hell. I hope you filled those out. Now, the creation of hell. We've already focused on this, but look at it again. It was God prepared hell for the devil. It was not created for man. It was created for the devil and his angels. Remember, the devil was God's most powerful, most beautiful angel he created. And because of his beauty and his pride, he sinned and said, I want to be like the Most High. I want to be like God. I want to exalt my throne above the stars of God. And of course, because of his pride, God removed him from heaven. And, and those who followed him, one third of the angelic host followed him. And so God prepared a place for them. And somebody asked me, I think not long ago, said, Pastor, did God provide a way of salvation for the angels, the, de the demons? And the answer is no, he did not. And, and, and the, I believe the answer is, is because, you know, we are saved by faith. And I don't know about you, I've never seen heaven. One day I'm going to see heaven, but I've never seen heaven. I've never seen hell. But I believe in both of them. And, and uh, we have to believe in them by faith. But... So, but the devil, he was in the presence of God when he sinned. There was no faith on his part. He was in the very presence of God. He was one of the angels, the member of the uh, anointed cherub that hovered over the throne of God in, in the very presence of God. So to much given, much is required. And so on his part, there was no faith to believe in God because he was right there with God. And so he and all his followers, the de demons, God prepared a place just for them and we've read this already in Matthew 25, 41. It said, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, and everlasting fire. And there's that phrase, prepared for the devil's angels. So hell was prepared for Satan. Now, some people think, some people say, Satan's in hell, a throne, enjoying himself right now. No, he's not. Satan fears hell. It's a place prepared for him. He is not looking forward to it at all because it's a place of torment for him. He's not there now. He's not there having a party and inviting people to come and spend time with him. He fears that place. And hopefully we'll have time. We can talk about that in the book of Revelation. But basically, God prepared this terrible place for him. Next, however, God prepared his kingdom from believers. God prepared hell for the devil. God prepared his kingdom for believers. Another verse we've looked at already. In Matthew 25, 34, it says this, Then shall the king, the Lord Jesus, say unto them on his right hand, talk about the sheep, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, what? Prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So God prepared hell for the de devil. He prepared his kingdom for believers. Another verse God is presently preparing heaven for those who are saved. This is present tense. God is preparing heaven. How many of you know John 14? Many of you know this verse. In verse 1, he said, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, he said, In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. If we're not so, I told you. He said, I go prepare a place for you. The implication is this is right before he went back to heaven. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later. He lived on the earth for 40 days. Then he ascended to heaven and prior to going, he said, I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a place just for you. 
implication is that it, he's, that's what he's doing now. And you read about this place. Revelation 21 describes this place. It's called a bride adorned for her husband. Read about it sometime. It talks about the streets are made of pure gold. The walls of the city are made of jasper. And the gates are made of pearl. It's just a beautiful place. And uh, that's what he's preparing for us. So hell is prepared for who? The devil. The kingdom's prepared for believers. And here he's talking about those who are saved. He's preparing a special place for us. Uh, called a mansion. Uh, by the way, I, illustration I use, may have used it before. How many have ever been to the Biltmore House in, in, uh, in North, is it Tennessee, North Carolina? North Carolina. Asheville, right? Anybody been there before? And a beautiful, that amazing place. I mean, you can spend half a day walking around the place. It has a, a pool inside. It has a bowling alley inside. The room that has the uh, dining room has a fireplace big enough you could drive a semi-tractor into it. I mean, it's just overkill of everything. It's just beautiful. It's got multiple rooms. It is truly a mansion, uh, humanly speaking. But my friend, the mansion the Lord has prepared for you in heaven. The Biltmore House is a garbage dumpster compared to that. <laughs> I want you to understand that. When you look at what man prepares, you go, wow, look at this place. It is nothing compared to what God's prepared for you. And so, in fact, the Bible said, I have not seen nor earth heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things God's prepared for them that love him. And so what an amazing place this is. Now the duration. We saw the description of hell. We saw the preparation of hell. Now the duration. How long is hell for? Now this is where there's so much difference in opinion. And I want you to see what the Bible says. The Bible says hell is forever. Many people believe that when you die and you go to hell, you're consumed and pff, you cease to exist. And that'd be wonderful if that was true, but that is not true. The Bible says in hell, there is no sensation of suffering. A person goes to hell and he suffers for all eternity. Revelation 14, 11, it said, And the smoke of their torment, those that are cast into hell, Ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor what? Night. That is what people in hell long for. Some relief. Remember the rich man who was in hell? And he asked, just send Lazarus and touch his finger and water to my tongue, and I may, I'm tormented in this flame. Just I have a little relief. People in hell have no relief. There is no rest, no relief of suffering. The, the torment ascends up forever and ever and they have no rest. That's an awful thought. But you know, the Bible talks about heaven for you and I as a place of rest. <laughs> rest from our labors. So heaven's just the opposite of what hell is. I'm glad I'm going to heaven, aren't you? Another one, the Bible said there's no sensation of existence. There's no sensation of, of suffering. There's no sensation of existence. This is where people uh, don't, you know, question hell. They say, well, you may go there, but you don't have to, you won't be there very long. Death in the Bible means separation. It does not mean annihilation, does not mean cessation of being. The Jehovah Witnesses, they teach if you're not good enough to go into the kingdom, you'll go to hell, but you'll be annihilated. You'll be ceased to exist. 
And so that is not what the Bible teaches. I want you to understand that's contrary to the Bible. What people do, what man does, try to comprehend or interpret Scripture with a human reasoning. And they say this, we're going to address in a few moments, how can a God of love send somebody to spend eternity of eternal suffering in the lake of fire? How could a God of love do that? And so they, that they human reason that a God of love couldn't do that, their reasoning thinks. Therefore, they rationalize hell away. They say there is no hell, but if there is a hell, it's temporary, not eternal. But you and I have to be honest with Scripture. And what Scripture says, Revelation 20, turn there, please. Revelation 20, this is one more verse I want you to turn with me. In fact, start in Revelation 19, then we'll turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 19. Revelation 19, 20, and 21 are in chronological order. And Revelation 19 talks about the battle of Armageddon. And we see that in the uh, Revelation 19. But I like to look at the latter part uh, of the chapter. And look in verse 20, please. This is after the battle of Armageddon. In verse 20, Revelation 19, verse 20. Said, and the beast was taken with him, the false prophet, the wrought miracles before him, and which he deceived them that deceived the mark and the beast, them that worship his image. And notice here, the latter part of verse 20, they both, the beast and the false prophet, they both were cast alive where? Into the lake burning with brimstone. Notice they were cast alive into this place called hell a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Now, uh, look in chapter 20, verse 1. Now, remember these chapters in chronological order. In 20, verse 1, he said, And I saw an angel come down. This is after the beast and false prophet cast into hell, alive there. In verse 20, verse 1, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for how long? A thousand years. Unless we uh, forget that, verse 3, and cast him, the devil, in the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should see the nations no more, till what? The thousand years should be fulfilled. Now think about this. Remember this now. First of all, the beings of false prophet are cast into hell. Right after that, Satan is bound. He's cast in the bottomless pit. How long is he cast there for? A thousand years. Okay, now skip over, you would please. And look in verse 7. In verse 7 of Revelation 20. And when the thousand years are expired. Notice here. A thousand years has passed. Now Satan is in a bottomless pit chain there for that thousand years. He shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out and deceive the nations which are the four corners of the earth, the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom the sand of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city, talking about Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven, devoured them. Verse 10, look at it now. Here's the key verse. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire. Remember, that was prepared for him. Here and lake of fire with brimstone. And notice what it says. Where the beast and the false prophet, what's it say? Are. 
Present tense. It didn't say where they were, where they are. My friend, a thousand years has passed, and they're still there. They're still burning. They're still suffering. So they didn't go there and burn up and cease to exist. They were not annihilated. These two individuals were cast like a fire. A thousand years passed. Satan is cast there. And guess who's still there? They are. So here's one of the verses clearly teaches that hell is forever. A person that does not cease to exist. He's not burned up, annihilated, or burned out of existence. He, he's still there. All right. Another one. Again, we're talking about the duration of hell. The word eternal, remember we saw that word eternal mentioned several times, eternal fire, eternal punishment, eternal uh, destruction. The words used to describe the duration of hell are the same words used. Don't miss this now, please. The words that the Bible defines hell are the same words used to describe, first of all, to describe the existence of God. Romans 16, 26. But now is made manifest and by the scriptures and the prophets according to the commandment of the what kind of God? Everlasting God. And think about this now. The word that the Bible uses to describe the existence of hell, everlasting fire, everlasting punishment, is the same word as used to describe God. And the point I'm going to get at here, if hell's not forever, God's not forever. Do you understand that? What kind of God do we have? We have an everlasting God, eternal God. And the same word described our God describes the lake of fire. Read on. Another one, Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? Remember that word eternal to my eternal fire. So again, the word described hell describes God. About the, about the duration of hell describes the God and his spirit. Another one, it to express the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this word describes the duration of hell, describes the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16. I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comfort that he may abide with you for what? Forever. And remember, that's the same word talking about those who go to forever and ever to hell. So again, again, the issue is this. If hell's not forever, then the presence of the Holy Spirit is not in you forever. Because the same word describes the duration of both. Another one, the duration of salvation. The word describes how long hell lasts, describes how long your salvation lasts. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what kind of life? Eternal life. Now, again, I hope you get the point here. The word that the Bible uses to describe hell, the fire, the destruction, the suffering, is called everlasting and eternal. And the scripture uses that very same word to describe the existence of God, his Holy Spirit, his presence in your life, and in fact, your salvation. So if, listen to me, please. If when someone attacks the duration of hell as not being forever, they're attacking your duration existence in heaven. They're attacking the duration the existence of our God. Because the same word describes both. Do you see the seriousness of that? 
And when someone says hell's not forever, then what they're saying in the backward door, they're saying heaven's not forever. Your salvation's not forever. God doesn't live forever. And the Holy Spirit doesn't abide forever. It's the same word both. Do you see the danger of questioning the duration of hell? The reason for hell. Number four, the reason for hell. Why did God create this place? And that's the question many people ask. Hell is a manifestation of divine justice. Hell is a manifestation of divine justice. Hell is not inconsistent with God's justice. Now, this is where human reason comes in. They would say, how could God be just and send somebody to spend all eternity in a place called hell? How, how can a just God do that? And so it is not inconsistent with God's justice. I want you to understand that. It's not the punishment of sin, that, but the not punishing sin that caused God's justice in the question. You ever seen somebody that we know everybody, everybody knows he was guilty and he was let free? And you say, where is justice? And uh, I think of, oh my gosh, my mind went blank. He, he was a football star. Who? O.J. Simpson. Yes, I mean, it was obvious the man was guilty. I mean, it's very clear. But the smooth-talking uh, lawyers got him off. And people say, where's justice? So it was, in other words, the, the person was not punished for what he did wrong. And so basically, it's not the punishment of sin that calls God's justice in question. It's not punishing. If a person can live a life of sin and reject the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and not be punished for it, my friend, that's not justice. It's justice. Hell is not inconsistent with God's justice. Hell satisfies the demands of God's justice. Please fill in those blanks. Hell satisfies the demands of God's justice. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall what? Die. That is God's justice speaking. I'll explain that more in a moment. God will not sacrifice his justice on the altar of love. They say, wait a minute. Yes, God's a God of justice, but also he's a God of love. Yes, he is. But he will not sacrifice his justice on the altar of love. Both have to be satisfied. Hell magnifies God's attributes. Hell magnifies God's attributes. Here's some attributes of God. Number one, God is what? Holy. Am I going too fast? God, God is holy. In it, excuse me, in his holiness, his holiness requires perfection, absolute righteousness in his presence. Basically, we always talk about God's a holy God, and his holiness says, if you want to spend eternity with God, if you want to enter his presence, you have to be as holy, as righteous as he is. That's what his holiness demands. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor, that eliminates all of us. Yes, it does. <laughs> We'll talk more about that. But God is holy. So this holiness, in his holiness, he requires perfection. Number two, God is just. That's another attribute of God. God is just. His justice demands punishment, death for all those who fall short of his righteousness. His justice demands punishment. 
for those who fall short of his righteousness. Now look over here, please. I'm seeing if you're paying attention or not. I'm getting my point across. What's the first attribute we're looking at here? God's holiness. God is holy. Of all the attributes of God in the Bible, the ones emphasized far more than any other is the, just, is the holiness of God. Far more than his justice, far more than his mercy, far more than his love. The holiness of God. And his holiness requires, if you to enter his presence, you must be holy as he is. Okay, number two. What's the second attribute? Justice. And as justice says, those who fall short of his holiness require judgment in his death. His justice demands punishment. And by the way, we all have fallen short and come short of the glory of God, have we not? We all have sinned. And, and that judgment for sin is God's justice. But read on. Now you say, Pastor, this is getting depressing. Don't lose me. Let me lose me now. Lose you. Number three, the third attribute. God is what? Oh, I love this one. God's merciful. And his mercy pleads for life. His holiness requires righteousness. His justice demands punishment for those who fall short of his righteousness. But as a part of God, he's merciful. And his mercy pleads for life. Now, how is his mercy ever satisfied? When his justice demands death, his mercy pleads for life. Read on. Number four, God is what? Love. His love provided a substitute. Wow. His love provided a substitute. Now, look up here, please. We're just about out of time. Don't miss this. We're talking about the attributes of our God. The Bible clearly says over and over again, our God's holy. He's a holy, he, the God is light, in him is no darkness at all. He's perfect, he's righteousness, he's without sin at all. And this holiness requires you to be the same in his presence, or not. And those who fall short of that, his justice kicks in. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it must die. That's God's justice speaking. But now we have mercy. His mercy pleads for life. Now, uh, next part, God is love. And his love, he provides a substitute. Listen, please. All that God's holiness demands, all that his, uh, righteous, his justice requires, is met in the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was holy, which demands me to be holy. I demand to be holy. He was holy in my place. God's justice demands punishment. So when Jesus became sin for me, the justice of God was poured out on him. In my behalf. Hallelujah. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. But Jesus paid that penalty for me. And as my substitute, my sin's been paid for. I've met all the justice demands of me. I met all the holiness requires of me in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's true of every one of us. Lastly, I got two minutes. The preaching of hell. The preaching of hell. It's a strong motivation for people to come to Christ. I don't know about you. I trusted Christ because I heard about hell. Amen. And I didn't want to go. <laughs> it motivated me to put my dependence and my trust in Christ. It's not a hindrance to the gospel, but the main reason for success. Why should a person trust Christ if there's no hell? You ever thought about that? Why, why would a person come to Christ and there's no hell? There'd be no reason to be saved. What did he come to save us from? Hell. <laughs> the judgment of that. 
And so it's, that's the reason people come to Christ. Letter B, the strong motivation for the believer to persuade men to come to Christ. It's a strong motivation for the believer to persuade men to come to Christ. How many of you have loved ones that are not saved? When you think and hear about this place called hell, what a motivation it is to go tell them, warn them of this place. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. When we know what hell's like, we've done a description of it here tonight. Hopefully, I said, Pastor, I need to tell my loved ones. If this is what hell's really like, and people go there when they die, boy, what a strong motivation for me to go tell them. Next, it's a strong motivation to give to missions. A strong motivation to give to missions. I'm so grateful we have a giving church. Every year our faith promise goes up because people have a burden for the lost here at First Baptist. So, you know, the Bible says, where your heart is, says, there will your treasure be also. And so, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's it. Okay. Now, if you didn't get something, uh, you may see me afterwards, or maybe see your neighbor, fill that in. But uh, hopefully, my desire, let me close this. In fact, it's 8 o'clock, it's time for us to quit. My desire tonight was not to give you a head of greater knowledge of hell. But I hope you've gained that tonight. But I hope this might motivate you to reach the lost. When you and I understand fully what the Bible says about hell, to much given, much is required. And so now you have given much understanding of this awful place called hell. And what happens to a person when they go there? Oh, that God may open our mouths boldly and share the gospel of the lost. Because the person that's not saved, my friend, no matter how good they may be in the eyes of men, when they die, they're going to go to hell. And so please, please, may this motivate us open our mouths boldly and speak the gospel, as Paul said, as we ought to speak. Let's bow together, please. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the word of God so we can study things of scripture. And Father, the last two weeks, we talked about this awful place, a place you prepared yourself, not for us, not for man, but for the devil. However, when man rejects the way of salvation, the only way to heaven, the alternative is that place called hell. And Father, may we get the reality of this place called hell and see our loved ones and their destiny of this place. Lord, may this motivate us to share the gospel, the good news with them. Pray for them, first and foremostly. And, and Lord, share the gospel with them. Pray that the Lord would send somebody to share the gospel with them. And Lord, we pray that this may motivate us to be soul winners. Fast in Jesus' name, amen.